This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life out here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to Under the Dome with CD on this beautiful Saturday morning. Hopefully, you're having a great one so far. I know I sure am because I'm here with you for the next two hours. And we're coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. We're looking good. We're feeling good. And honestly, I'm absolutely amped up. Appreciate you for listening in on this LSU Bama Day, however you're doing. So be it through the 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, smart speakers, whatever it is. And also, I know we're having some, we've had some issues lately, but I'm sure the tower of power that is the FM dial is still the way to go. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. And it's two, you heard it, two hours of no holds barred sports talk and who knows if we're going to get to all of it because we got a lot of ground to hit. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is... Is I got the time. You're damn right. The good news is we got the time on this LSU Alabama day. We're gonna we're gonna dedicate a segment to that. Don't you worry. In this show, yes, the I said it earlier in the week when I filled in for David Grubb on Crunch Time. I wondered if there's an actual level of excitement to this matchup. This isn't 2019, whenever LSU was playing Alabama and we're undefeated heading into it, and it felt like as good of an opportunity as any to get the win over those dreaded Crimson Tide. Lo and behold, things have changed in short order in the last two years since that game. But we'll go ahead and kind of table that conversation for a little bit later on in the program. There's one thing I do want to get to, though, involving the world of college football, and it has something to do with Alabama. It has to do something with the elite, the the elite of college sports and college football in particular. And that, my friends, is going to be the subject for your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh, testify! It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. Even before the first college football playoff polls were released, by the time I got to Saturday night, I had a bad feeling, and it was a really strong feeling, I would say, that the lovable losers, or the lovable underdogs, I should say, not losers because they're undefeated, but the lovable underdogs that are the Cincinnati Bearcats were going to be on the outside looking in. That said, I was still pretty surprised to see how far they wound up falling 
after being ranked second in the AP poll just a few days prior. Of course, you look at it. Georgia makes sense. Number one team in the, in the country, undefeated, and they've looked dominant doing so. They deserve to be the number one seed. It's a little weird thing about two teams from the state of Georgia actually doing well, but maybe just maybe they're kind of breezing through the SEC East a lot like the Atlanta Braves breeze through the highways and byways of the Atlanta area or Cobb County, Georgia. Hopefully they were respecting the law and order and going at going the speed limit because I know they had policemen out there and everything, but I'm sure the big boss man might have been a little bit disappointed if they didn't go down Cobb County, Georgia respectfully. But the one that's got everybody talking about is Alabama. And of course, it's Alabama that's the one that everybody talks about because of the fact that they are ranked second in the first college football playoff poll of the 2021 season, pretty much proving that the committee knows they'll represent the SEC West and Atlanta, and even if they lose, they'll probably wind up getting into the playoffs. It pretty much proves that there is an SEC bias, and there's definitely an Alabama bias. They're 7-1, and one, and a lot of their wins were bolstered up because of the fact that they somehow, way threw in Kentucky, Texas A&M, Mississippi State into that top 25 mix to boost them up. Even their loss to Texas A&M didn't hurt them because, again, it's all about the Alabama bias. The other thing I was surprised about was the top four. And the rounding out of it was number four, Oregon. Because I had them kind of not necessarily counted out. But they lost to a team in Stanford. They lost to Stanford a while back. And it makes me wonder, yes, Oregon beat Ohio State, but does a win in week two really hold all that weight? Does a win in September hold all that weight in November. That's my biggest question in all this. Because I had about 50 million questions as the rankings were revealed. But it made me think about that. There, It was crazy how there was an actual debate about whether or not a team should be hired based on who they played and who they beat. Because Ohio State was at fifth, right behind Oregon. And again... I was definitely surprised at that. Now, does Oregon make the playoff? I don't necessarily think so. Because they have a chance of playing themselves out of it. They've still got their rest of their Pac-12 schedule ahead of them. And like one loss will undo all of that. And, Pac-12, and the Pac-12 will not have a contender. I think the Big 12 will not have a contender as well. Because of the fact they have not like been up to snuff. Oklahoma is undefeated, yes. But Oklahoma is the most suspect undefeated team I've ever seen. They barely beat Tulane, and they've had games where they should have lost. I could probably rattle off like the last three or four contests they've had where they've just looked absolutely suspect. They're ranked eighth, but we'll get to those Bearcats now. We'll get to the crux of the matter here. The sixth-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats proves to me and probably proves to a lot of y'all there will never be in this current format of the tournament a group of five team. There is a clear glass ceiling 
because the college football gods that are in that committee want to see the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States of the world, even to a certain extent, even Oregon. They want to see those teams representing their conferences. Because guess what? That happens. That's what happens there. It's name recognition. Oregon has the Nike brand associated with it. It's almost like a synonym. If you look up in the dictionary, Oregon, you might find Nike in there somewhere. Then you have Alabama, obviously. They're synonymous with national championships. Georgia has been a power in the SEC alongside Alabama in recent years. They've done a great, Kirby Smart's done a great job with that program. Then you have, obviously, Michigan State. Everybody's favorite, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. The internet's like golden child right now because Mel Tucker is making Michigan State great for the first time in a long time. I'd say probably since the first college football playoff year. That program was not in good in dire straits, and in two years he's turned that thing around, and it's great. It's great to see. Now the big million dollar question is: How much does that affect the hiring of him to LSU, or or is Woodward really going after the big fish in Jimbo Fisher? That's a different conversation we can have. If you want to talk about that, three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. But the committee showed me that. Group of fives aren't allowed. Even if you're undefeated, you have to do everything in your power. You've got to jump over hurdles. They're hurdles. Everybody's going to jump over hurdles. But the hurdles that group of five teams have to jump over are astronomical. Yes, they beat a Notre Dame team, a top 10 team in the college football playoff poll, but that wasn't enough because it's Notre Dame. Notre Dame always gets in the top 10 somehow, even when they're overhyped. And maybe a little bit overrated. Be interesting to see how they do later on today when they play Navy. So I got to say, this is something where I'm like, it's going to continue to happen because they're always going to get the name brand getting there. The top 10 is going to be based off of name brand recognition in some cases. He's not every team. Everybody in that committee is watching every single game. I can guarantee you that. I think we can all agree on that front. But this is where the real issue is. I think people just need to kind of look themselves in the mirror and realize this fact. What that team did just a few weeks ago. This is why they aren't in that number. This is why they aren't in that grouping of teams in the college football playoff. They're not in the top four. It's because they haven't been able to do something I talked about with the Cajuns a while back, and that's get style points. They are a group of five team, and they're going to jump ship to the Big 12. So basically they're like, like let's say you, you got your kids at the restaurant. They're about 10, 11 years old. They're about to get ready to order from the kids' menu. That's how close they are to becoming a big boy and going over to the Power 5 conferences and going over to the Big 12. But until then, they won't have a shot at the table or a seat at the table if they can't do what they didn't do last week. If they beat Tulane like a drum and they beat some of these other opponents down into the pavement and get style points, which shouldn't matter in metrics, but it does in terms of what people look at. 
He's, I, I guarantee you, probably not many people were watching Cincy Tulane, but you look at the score, it tells you a lot. The fact that you were trailing at one point, that's, a, that's another knock. If I'm a member of the committee that has a clear and obvious bias, and I talked about it a few weeks ago with the Cajuns, where they weren't getting things done in a certain way. And you know what that was? Not winning big. And I go back to the evil coach of the first Mighty Ducks movie, and he said it best. It's not worth winning if you can't win No, exactly. You can't win. It's not worth winning if you can't win big. That's what's going to matter. It's I, Again, style points won't matter when it comes to ranking the best teams. I mean the absolute best teams in the country. It's not going to matter. Think about it. You only had really one group of five team worth anything make the college football playoff poll. SMU, the Cajuns even. The Cajuns were ranked 24th in the AP poll. They didn't get in. There was a lot of teams that did not get into the AP top 25 rankings that were left out in the cold and will likely never get past the velvet rope like they're the Batabi brothers going into the Roxbury. Like, there's no way you're going to get into that grouping. There's no way you are going to get into that spot if you are doing things like this. That's where the whole conversation is, and it shifts over what happens with this program. And that's the state of the union when it comes to the college football playoff. And even when they expand, like, does the group of five actually get a legitimate seat at the table? I have a theory, and I'm going to throw it out here right now. I would not be surprised if the Power Five conferences would split away in the next, by the time we get to that magic year when we officially shift over to a 12 team playoff, and it becomes a 12 team playoff. Power five only. Then I'm sure there's going to be a lot of paperwork, a lot of red tape, and maybe some lawsuits going to cause this thing to get locked up in God knows how long. But it makes you wonder if things stay the same as they are right now. And we see the, the expansion of conferences and the playoff happen and it expands. Does the group of five get a justifiable seat at the table? And it's a true, fair, and just process to allow more parity in these tournaments, in these playoffs, or will it continue to be the bourgeoisie of the Power Five conferences while the group of fives just continue to get New Orleans Bowls? Because let's be honest, there ain't going to be many New Year's Six Bowls if there's a 12-team playoff. That's kind of where I'm at on all this. If you disagree with me, call me up. 337 When we come back, we'll get into some of the conversation about college, excuse me, high school football. Because week 10's in the books. The regular season's over. Playoffs are right around the corner. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 1037, the game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. 
We'll have AJ Spur, Roll Tide Wire, part of USA Today's network. We'll talk to him about the Crimson Tide in about 10 minutes or so, give or take. Just depends how long we, it takes for us to get through week 10 of high school football in the Acadiana area. The playoffs are on the horizon. Got some thoughts on that and so much more. So let's waste a little time and get into the world of high school football right now. And Week 10 was actually pretty entertaining, to say the least. We'll start off in Class 5A, 3-5A action. Acadiana High beats Lafayette 45-8. Barr beats Como 30-19. Southside beats New Iberia 46-13. Sulphur beats Sam Houston 41-24. Eunice beats LaGrange 67-34. Cecilia beats North Vermillion 35-7. Rain beats Washington Marion 42-41. Westgate beats Carrigrove 47-21. Turlings Catholic defeats Northside 50-21. Nice to see them kind of in the season, in the regular season on a positive note. 50-21 win over Northside. St. Thomas Moore beats East St. John in a shootout 62-60. Opelousas beats Beauchene 48-6. That was the St. Landry Parish game of the week and justifiably so. Bro Bridge beats Livonia 58-14. Cecilia beats North Vermillion 35-7. Church Point beats Pine Prairie 64-0. Iota beats Mamoose 63-36. Northwest beats Ville Platte 51-12. Abbeville defeats Erath 38-15. And maybe there's a chance we'll see the Russo Trophy be contested one more time in the postseason. Who knows? We'll see how that goes. St. Martinville shuts out Crowley 56-0. Kaplan beats Lake Arthur. Speaking of the Russo Trophy, Kaplan beats Lake Arthur 56-26. Lafayette Christian Academy beats Welsh 49-13. Notre Dame beats Port Berry 41-6. Ascension Episcopal beats West St. Mary 41-7. Franklin beats Catholic High New Iberia 40-13. Delcom beats Homer Christian 45-6. Lowerville beats Generet 59-22. Catholic High Point Capi beats St. Ed 38-29. Sacred Heartville Platt beats North Central 69-0. Opelousas Catholic beats Westminster Christian 40-6. Island Baptist shuts out Centerville 7-0. Central Catholic loses to Vermilion Catholic 32-20. And Hanson Memorial shuts out Centerville 26-0. One heck of a ball game. One heck of a slate of ball games, I should say. And let's go ahead and get some takeaways real quick. we got a few minutes. So one of the big stories that I took away from last night was the return, not of the King, but of Walker Howard. The SM Cougars got a great bit of news earlier in the day on Friday. He is Walker Howard was returning from an injury that looked like it could have been like, hey, let's shut him down and have him get ready for, you know, the college ranks. He's going to be at LSU. But lo and behold... He comes back and bounces back pretty nicely in the regular season finale with a 62-60 win over East St. John in an absolute shootout. And then you got to give credit to the special teams, a blocked field goal late on the final drive for East St. John, helped the Cougars secure a win and end the season with a 6-4 record. And probably going to be a top-four seed in Division II based off of what Danny Jones said to me during the football night in Acadia post-game show in the wee hours of the night 
I'd say, you know, like we you hear about it all the time in NFL red zone lingo, the witching hour. This was well past the witching hour, the, that game. It, like The broadcast didn't end until 1045. Let's put it that way. Then you have Church Point. The Bears are undefeated. And they have a chance to make the Dome. I think there's no doubt in my mind. They'll have a really good draw because they're going to be ranked fifth according to what we're seeing right now in the 3A State playoffs based off of, again, these power ratings. I'm going to go ahead and use – that's the one time I mentioned power ratings – and the PowerPoints, you can go check it out. You know, find your resources. This is kind of how they make the seedings. It's not necessarily official, but it feels like that's the direction they're going to go. This is like the college football playoff where things get all jacked up. No. But there's a slight chance where a team's going to make it to the Dome. Church Point is one of those contenders. They routed Pine Prairie Thursday night 64 to nothing. So they've been doing it with style. They haven't been closed ball games. They've been dominant. And they are ranked fifth in these power ratings. And there's quite a bit of representation, there we go, from the Acadian area in the 3A's top 10, Abbeville at number two, St. Martinville at number three. Meanwhile, Opelousas Catholic, more likely than not, secured the top four seed last night. No Keon Coleman, no problemo for the Vikings, who changed up their offensive game plan after having such a high-profile player last season. And that's led them to a really nice 9-1 record. And is they're going to be the number three seed in the division for playoffs. I'm interested to see how much things would change for the Vikings. I was hearing they were kind of going more to a run offense. Just very much smash mouth, old school. I was seeing a column, I think it was on The Advocate. I don't know if Foot wrote it or not. But basically coined it as like caveman football. And that's basically what it is, what they're running right now. And yes, it's kind of a... A term to slight the program, but I think there's no doubt in my mind, it works. It is very much a we're gonna go ahead and just punch you in the mat. That's how that's how they roll, and it works extremely, extremely well for this team. So keep keep tabs on Apples Catholic once we get into the thick of the playoffs, especially in Division Four. Acadian High, they continue to run through 3-5-8 like hot butter. They had a tough non-district slate that was sat at 2-2, two two, but now they just ran through the 3-5-8 district like a wrecking ball. The wrecking ramps won seven straight and capped it off with a 45-8 win over the Lafayette High Minor Lions. And more likely than not, there's a home game on tap for Acadian High, so they'll be starting the road to a three-peat on probably one of the best heaters, especially in District 3, excuse me, in Class 5A. Speaking of District 3, 5A, they'll be probably adding a newcomer, which is going to, like, I'll go ahead and, and like, make this, like, give you some interest here. So, when it comes to what happened with the Acadian the Acadian High Reckon Rams, and they had a really, like, really good hot streak. Ten things. Who else is a team in 5A that could make a decent run? I think Southside. I keep saying it. Southside has a really good chance because they've impressed me because they're not just winning these games by the skin of their teeth. No, they've been absolutely beating the tar out of opponents. Even that other team in the Acadian area in that 3-5A district, that's been fun. And, again, next year they'll be adding Karen Crow to the mix who knows how Barb and Sulphur 
and Sam Houston kind of fit into that mix going forward because if they stick around, that is a nine-team district. There's no way you're going to be able to play all those teams at the same time. It's, it's a conversation I think we'll be having down the road. Another team to kind of look at, the Cecilia Bulldogs dominating the North Vermilion Patriots. Cecilia looking pretty darn good. I was mentioning them. I was mentioning 3A, but I think 4A has somebody to keep an eye on, and that's probably going to be Cecilia Bro. Bridge looked good, and it went over. Excuse me, that was week 10. But, you know, seriously, you got Church Point. You got Cecilia looking good. Bro Bridge got a nice win over Livonia last night, 58-14. Opelous is high. They're going to be a team to look forward to. I think one that maybe we're not necessarily talking about nearly as much, Westgate. Westgate has low-key gotten really good. Ryan Antoine is making this program like really start to click and fire on all cylinders. So I wouldn't be surprised if Westgate does indeed make a run for the postseason out in the New Iberia area because they've been building for a while. I think this is that opportunity to kind of get to that next plateau. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get to some LSU-Alabama talk. We'll go to the enemy perspective behind enemy lines with our good friend A.J. Spur, part of Roll Tide Wire, which is part of USA Today Sports. We'll get to that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And it's well past time to get behind enemy lines with a big game tonight, LSU-Alabama. Not nearly as much juice in the past, but it's still a primetime matchup. And we'll talk about that right now. He is the editor for Roll Tide Wire, part of the USA Today Sports Network. That is A.J. Spur. A.J., how's it going, brother? Doing pretty good over here on this end. How about yourself, boss? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Just out here enjoying the weather because it's been absolutely – it's not like – it's pretty darn cool outside right about now. It feels like actual football weather in November. That's always a good thing. But first things first, looking at the Alabama Crimson Tide, how surprised were you to see them land at that number two slot in the initial college football playoff poll. I know it doesn't amounts to a hill of beans when it comes to the end game and the end conversation about where teams wind up come December, but that was something that got a, got stuck in a lot of people's crawl. It, it did, and I don't think it got as much attention as it necessarily deserved because I don't think they should have been placed in at number two. Um, but having Oregon there at number four, uh, Cincinnati dropped down all the way to six. There were a couple other storylines there that I think grasped a lot of people's attention instead of Alabama at number two. At this point, you know, a lot of people just kind of accept the fact that either Alabama is going to be at or near the top, whether or not the masses believe they deserve it or not. Um, I, I do think they should have been top four, uh, especially considering where the CFP committee had Texas A&M, Alabama's low and lost. Uh, ranked 
Uh, but top two, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think Michigan State is a really solid team right now. Their offense seems very, very explosive. Kenneth Walker, in my opinion, Heisman front runner. Uh, that team should have been number two. Alabama, maybe three or four, depending on where you rank. Oklahoma with Caleb Williams, which that I totally forgot to mention, blew my mind over there at number eight. Um, but Alabama fans know this is just the initial rankings. It's going to come down at the end of the day, assuming. Uh, Alabama can run the table here in the regular season, uh, that it's going to come down to uh, that final game in Atlanta, most likely against Georgia. It was so crazy. And, you know, it was kind of almost like they threw out a bunch of other smoke screens, the College Football Playoff Committee did, to where we weren't talking about the surprise that Alabama was number two. You, you, everybody was talking about Cincinnati, Oregon over Ohio State. It was all that. And then obviously Oklahoma is also standing at eight, even though I feel like I agree with that ranking more than anything. But it just felt like. Oh, Alabama's number two? Okay, but what about Cincinnati? It felt like everybody else was talking about that. Nobody really cared that Alabama was in the top – excuse me, number two behind Georgia. Mm-hmm. No, if, if that was their goal, let me tell you, they did it. And especially with, A, leaving UTSA out completely of their top 25 and also having Mississippi State as high as they did. So, you know, those two alone were what got me rolling. I didn't even bother watching 15 through 10 – when they posted those, because just seeing UTSA and Mississippi State unranked and ranked that highly respectively, uh, the rest of it was, in my opinion, kind of hogwash. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see over these next few weeks how the, uh, the games pan out and how the, uh, the uh, scope of things narrows. So uh, it's all a waiting game at this point. Exactly. Talking right now, AJ Spur, managing editor for Roll Tide Wire. Now we're going to get to the actual contest itself. And it, like, I'm wondering, because over here, I feel like the, the, the vibe isn't necessarily there, but what's it like in T-Town where this game every single year it's marked on the calendar, and to me, heading into this, it's a lot like 2020. There's just not nearly as much juice on this on this uh, course as, as normal, you know? It's really, really interesting because last season, you would think, would kind of be the revenge game for what happened in Tuscaloosa back in 2019. And though Alabama won, it was almost like this insatiable thirst for, you know, blood from Alabama fans. And now that fans are allowed back into the stadium's full capacity, it's back in Tuscaloosa. Um, They know this is going to be Coach O's last time um, on the sidelines in Bryant-Denny Stadium. This game, from an Alabama fan perspective, is massive. And not from the standpoint of, well, are we going to win or not and how important this game is, but how many points they'll be able to run up. I mean, I'm not sure what's going on inside the program, um, but hearing Nick Saban talk about disrespect as a uh, motivating factor leading into a game is, you know, very unlike him to discuss what it is about a particular game other than the fact that it's a, you know, important game, which we get from him just about every other press conference. Um, and then also bringing back up when Coach O kind of did this as well when he walked back those comments he made back in 2019 in the locker room uh, that were filmed by accident and uh, shown to the world. Uh, you know, Alabama fans felt disrespected. It was on their home turf. We're back on home turf now, and fans are allowed back into the stadium. So this is probably the most excited I've seen in Alabama, you know, fan base excited for a game in a very, very long time. That's interesting to hear, and you just brought up something that I kind of have to agree with. It's like you think about it. This team, a couple years ago, 
basically went into your house and beat you down to a pulp. I don't know what happened there. Looks like we lost um, uh, AJ. Going to go ahead and try and get him to call back. Looks like we lost him there. So we're going to go going to go ahead and try and get him back on because we were having a good conversation looks like we got him back aj you back with us yes sir all right cool i just want to make sure because we lost you there for a second but no i'm with you i think there was something to be said about what you saw from that contest at lsu alabama where they just basically came into your house and just slapped you around for four quarters of a ball game yes the score got a little bit closer but that first half you just like lsu completely outclassed them and then you have the post-game comments to where basically you're like the big Lebowski and those guys walk into the dude's house and they pee on their rug. It's like you don't pee on another guy's rug. It ties the room <laughs> together. And now you get an opportunity to kind of get even more revenge. And he brought it up. It's like, and yeah, I think Nick Saban, the fact that they had a loss earlier this year, that's probably even more of a motivating factor because the second he gets a loss, it seems like he just like tightens the ship up a lot more. Exactly. And, and, one of Nick Saban's, you know, best qualities as a head coach and the reason why his teams, regardless of where he goes, you know, are, are so successful is discipline. And, and something we've seen this season uh, in particular for some reason is, is just a lack of discipline. There doesn't seem to be that strong sense of cohesiveness on both sides of the ball, especially on the defense. Um, and no one is really quite sure where to point the finger. You know, who does this fall on? Is it the fact that it's a rather young team and maybe lacks leadership um, on the roster itself and in the locker room? Or is it just the fact that maybe, you know, Nick Saban doesn't feel this team is, quote-unquote, the chosen one, you know, uh, that that can take uh, the Crimson Tide all the way to a national championship and bring home number 19 uh, for the program. So I completely agree with you there. that This team does look different. However, after that Texas A&M game, you know some things have been tightened up. Um, it's just a question of now, is it tight enough to uh, to get them all the way? What can you say about Bryce Young? Because, I mean, you've had this situation where the last few years a lot of high-caliber quarterbacks have come out of the University of Alabama. Mac Jones, a, a big point of contention. You see what he's doing. Tua Tagovailoa as well with the Miami Dolphins. What can you say about what Bryce Young's been able to do? 26 passes for that quarterback this year, the most in the SEC and fourth most in the nation. How big is this game for him? And more importantly, could this be that Heisman Trophy-esque game for him to where he could really make a make a big statement on a, on a massive platform like the four-letter network? Well, first off on the Heisman you know, topic there with Bryce, we've heard this for years, um, uh, recent years rather, with Mac Jones and Tua where these quarterbacks have so much success on the field, and it's just regular success. You almost expect it week in and week out. There's a big question of where is that Heisman moment going to come from? You know, if you're never really down um, in the game at any point throughout the season, um, if you're never the underdog, at what point do you look at this player and say, okay, he just, you know, came back and then won this game for his team, or look at how special he is if it's, if it's a team effort and they're always winning or always finding success, where does that moment come from? Now, with Bryce Young, he came in as Alabama's highest-rated quarterback recruit in program history. So it's weird to say that the expectations for him you know, weren't all the way to the moon. 
However, he somehow exceeded expectations this season. Being a first-year starter at Alabama after only playing in nine uh, games last season, and most of them were really just garbage-time touches, um, he's, he's gone out there this season and shown what he's capable of. I mean, his 2023 NFL draft stock is something I keep a very close eye on with Roll Tide Wire, and every week it seems to be going up and up and up. Um, it's crazy to think how you know he can improve leading into next season considering what he's been able to do as far as improvements in this season. Earlier on uh, against Florida, there were a lot of questions raised about his decision-making abilities. Can he even run the ball? Is he comfortable running the ball, especially in the red zone? As the season's gone on, we've seen his decision-making abilities progress, as have we seen his um, run game progress and really develop, especially in the red zone. He seems a lot more comfortable uh, running the ball in, taking a few more hits. Um, and being a mobile quarterback, that's something you would expect from him. I'd have to agree with you. Talking right now with our guy, A.J. Spur, part of Roll Tide Wire, which is part of the USA Today Sports Network. But I, I'm just blown away by how much this team has been like absolutely dominant outside of the A&M game. But LSU, it just feels like they are obviously outmanned and outgunned Who's going to have to – who do you think is going to be the biggest key to victory? Is it going to be more on the defensive side of the football to kind of get Max Johnson's cage rattled? Because I feel like the offense is going to kind of do what they need to do, especially when you look at LSU and they're lost damn near every single starter they had at the beginning of the year. It feels like it's going to be more about the defense kind of rattling the cage of one Max Johnson. Well, the offense, is as long as Alabama's offense can go out there and do what they've done every single game, some better than others – but if they can go out there and put at least an average performance, um, then from what they've shown this season, I think they'll be fine. I'm going to agree with you 100% here. I think it's going to come down to the defense. Getting to Max Johnson, um, especially with Will Anderson, is going to be very important. Um, but getting to Davis Price, this Alabama run defense has struggled this year. We look up front, DJ Dale, Fedarian Mathis. Uh, these are guys Alabama fans had a lot of hope for, especially DJ Dale, who – I believe he's in his second year as a starter at nose tackle, and he just hasn't really shown um, what we saw from him in high school as a recruit coming into the program, an in-state product. So a lot of people were very excited about him, and he's improved little by little every season, but he hasn't had that star quality a lot of people thought he would have. Um, it, it just seems like the one weakness for this Alabama team, aside from penalties in the secondary, is the inability to at least limit the run game. And whether it be a QB run or, you know, somebody like Davis Price who can do some very serious damage uh, to a defensive front, you know, Alabama is going to have to tighten up and, um, and get it going and stay strong. AJ, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road and enjoy yourself tonight. It's a little bit different, though, that this isn't a CBS game. It's so weird because it's been a long time. I think since like Nick Saban was the first year as a head coach, it's not on CBS. Yeah, not hearing Gary Danielson on it is going to be a little bit weird. But you know what? I think we'll all we'll all adjust we'll live just for this one game. We'll all live for this one. Now, obviously, you know, in a few years, once the CBS deal lapses, this will always be a four-letter network game. So, it, it, I think what, this is the trial run. Where we finally don't have to hear Gary Danielson on a Saturday night calling LSU Bama. That's right. Take it easy, man. 
You do the same. Appreciate you, boss. All right, that was AJ Spurs. Appreciate him joining the program as always. You can follow him on Twitter at SpurFM. Always love having him on the program. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We got one more segment in this hour. When we come back, we'll, after our quick timeout, we're going to get into the conversation about some of my favorite games, the picks to click for this week. After The Undertaker came and went before Halloween, didn't necessarily pay off all that well going, taking the unders, but we'll talk about that next. And also your favorite picks to click coming up next. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we'll wrap up our number one in a really nice way, like we always do on Saturdays, and give you five games. Count them five, my fave five. Games to throw down some ducats on. Now that you can do it legally in a lot of different casinos and sports books, the coming up online sports books, I know that's coming up before too long. I know you can make a trip out to Baton Rouge, maybe throw down some on these games, because obviously you can't really bet on the 11 o'clock games. It's kind of late, the, late in the thing now. I know there's live lines, but we don't talk about that. What we do talk about, though, is some of the games after the 11 o'clock hour. Mind you, those are some really good games. But let's go with five picks to click for this week. Three college, two, two pro football. There we go. Arkansas State covers against App State plus 21-point dogs. Arkansas State was able to keep it very competitive against the Cajuns in Jonesboro. I think it might be about the same against a Mountaineers team that's a little bit down. I think this is going to be a very close ball game, a lot closer than 21 points. It spread it was a little bit too high when I saw that last night. Ewell Monroe straight up against Texas State. Three and a half point dogs are the Warhawks. The Warhawks are a pretty damn good team, especially in conference. And Texas State just is dog. They got shut out by the Cajuns last week. I think it. Yes, there's going to be. It probably was ass chewing week. I talk about it a lot. Texas State was getting their ass chewed out a lot this week, but I still think UL Monroe is a little bit better, and it's a three and a half point spread. I think UL Monroe wins straight up. Texas, I gotta go with the Longhorns. They're due for one, and they're against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Give me. Wait, no, it's Iowa State, I believe. Iowa State, sorry. Iowa State. They probably would beat the Iowa Hawkeyes pretty bad, too. But straight up, Texas Longhorns over Iowa State. Plus six and a half point spread. That one just smells like an upset. Iowa State not necessarily as good as they have been in the past. And I think also the Longhorns are going to bounce back in a nice way. Because after all, they're due after some really brutal losses. They'll be back on the win column this week. This one's chalk. KC covers against Green Bay. Seven and a half point spread. You got Jordan Love out there replacing Aaron Rodgers due to him being out because of COVID. It is stupidity. Let's go ahead and put it that way. Seven and a half point spread. Kansas City gets it done. And they, they'll win, I think, outright probably by two touchdowns, if not more. I think the Chiefs know now that it's November, 
Time to really hammer down and more importantly, get dubs on the board. One game in particular that I'll throw an over on is the over on Saints Falcons. I'll take, I'll gladly take over on that one. 41 and a half points is the over under. That's easy money. Give it to me right now. Saints Falcons 41 and a half. Yes, you've got Trevor Simeon, but at the same time, there's a really good chance that 41 and a half does indeed cash because that is way too low not to take. Hour two about to get underway, and we'll get into the conversation about the New Orleans Saints and the two T's and have to decide between who will be the long-term starter the rest of the way. We'll talk about that and more next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down in life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh, yeah! Better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Hour 2 of 2 is officially underway. If you missed anything, we'll have it up shortly. Not too long after we wrap the program here. Two hours each and every Saturday. And we are coming to you live. From the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide. And you can definitely hear this whole thing worldwide on the free 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, and also your favorite smart speakers, but also if you're in the area. I know we've been having some issues through the FM dial, the tower of power that is 1037 The Game. But wherever you are, hopefully you're able to listen in to this fine program. He has the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And the man is going to tell you that we got a great second hour plan for you. We got a lot of ground to kind of hit here. First off, let me let me go ahead. Before I get into my diatribe about the New Orleans Saints, I got to give a shout out to what happened on Thursday night. Is the Louisiana Raging Cajuns? They continue to be impressive in a lot of, in a lot of different ways. They don't necessarily win every single time. I, I was blown away to see how much things changed. Like for this team, last Saturday they, they absolutely dominated Texas State. They steamrolled them, forty-five nothing. Georgia State's obviously a much better team than the Bobcats are. But when I saw the score was 3 nothing at halftime, I began to question the Billy Napier mantra. If you've listened to the show, you've listened to all the other programs we have here on this fine station, you've heard us mention the phrase, scared money don't make money. Scared money don't make money. That's the, It's an accurate statement. You know, He's always been that guy to go for it, and he's been steadfast in that. Thankfully, 
it paid off a little bit further down the road. But it got nerve-wracking, especially in that first half. This Cajuns team literally was not able to put up points on the board. And it was from bell to bell almost. This team was shut out 3-0 at the end of the half. It was still a very winnable ball game. But you wonder, like, how the hell were you able to kind of underperform and the run game just wasn't great? Thankfully, you had things work your way in the second half. But you could have absolutely dominated that ball game. It was just some bad luck and some bad play calling from time to time. They turned it around, and they got a win. That's all that matters. They got the win. And you move on. You win the Sunbelt West, and that's what you did. You got an outright Sunbelt West division win. Now it's time to kind of flip the page over and get ready for the rest of your month. And it's a relatively easy month. Like, if you just look at the way the schedule plays out for the Cajuns, your last three games of the season, that's four, I should say. Excuse me. No, three, actually. Sorry. I'm, I'm counting the championship game, but we don't even know who they're playing as of yet. So the next three weeks, you've got a Troy team that very much is, I'd say, towards the bottom of the barrel in the Sun Belt East. And that's saying something, considering the fact a few years ago, Chip Lindsey and crew were beating LSU. But lo and behold, things have changed. Coaching staffs have changed. And they are currently 4-4, four 2-2 and four, two and two in the conference. Very similar to Georgia State that you played last week. So, and out the fact that Georgia State obviously runs a lot more of a triple option, that's always going to be something that puts the Cajuns in stitches. Now you're kind of trying to figure out how it's all going to work the rest of the way. Because you've got one more non-con against Liberty. And Liberty did lose to UL Monroe earlier in the year. But they're still like a halfway decent team. Not necessarily as great as they were last season. But it's something to keep an eye on. They're playing Ole Miss right now. It's the return of Hugh Freeze to the Grove. Hopefully he's able to keep himself under control in the Grove. This is a team that did lose to UL Monroe by like three points back on October 16th. So you still have a lot of goals in front of you. And right now, I'd say the Cajuns have every chance to be 11-1. and And I'm definitely... Kind of happy to see that. There is a really good shot at being 11-1. You've already secured a Sunbelt West title. Now you got to try and figure out where App State or Coastal is going to slip up because if App State loses, if Coastal loses, they're going to clinch the West. The clinch the East, excuse me, and App State's going to come on down to here. App State's got Arkansas State, South Al, Troy, Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern might be the one team they slip up against. Coastal Carolina. They've got Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Texas State, South Al. Georgia State could be a slip-up. If Georgia State, if they lose to Georgia State, it's secured, ball game, we're done, moving on. And the Cajuns will play App State at Cajun Field. And I'm just going to continue to speak it into existence until it happens. Now, mind you, I've never necessarily been too much of a guy that can speak all this into existence, but, you know, that's where I'm standing. This is going to be the biggest game for Cajun Fields' history. 
because you're going to see Cage's App State, I think, in a rematch at 11 a.m. in early December for the Sunbelt Conference Championship, which would be a massive feather in the cap for UL, the Cajuns program, and Cajun Athletics because it's a massive spot. And especially whenever you see this conference, going to be making some major changes. Earlier today, it was officially announced by the Sunbelt Conference that James Madison is the fourth member, the fourth man, or the fourth program to join this prestigious conference alongside Southern Miss, Old Dominion, and Marshall, making it a 14-team league in terms of football. Now, your basketball and baseball schools and UTA and Little Rock, those might be going somewhere else and drop back down, according to the rumor in any window. But right now, that looks to be a massive like change, and you'll see a 16-team conference in, ba- in basketball, baseball, and softball. That's crazy to think about, 16-team conference in that. Which, especially with the programs you're adding in, and I talk about it a lot, it's the fact that you like have added a ton of talent. James Madison is a team that consistently gets into college softball rankings. Marshall footballs, their football program is going to elevate them. Southern Miss is going to elevate on the football front and the baseball front as well. So there's some real benefits that could turn into something really cool. Because now that you got 14, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there is a very much outside chance that you no longer have to deal with the one-bid league debate, especially when you look at the way Conference USA is going to be aligned in the not-too-distant future. It's going to be much maligned. They've added some programs. Yes, they've added Sam Houston State. that's going to help their baseball program, help their baseball rankings, but they're not going to have nearly enough to really fit that minimum, especially if Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee do indeed, according to reports, go to the MAC. So we talked about it a few weeks ago, and it's got a lot of run on our YouTube channel. You can search for us under the dome with CD. You can check us out there. And I got to say, I think there's a solid chance that the Sunbelt Conference is going to have more than one bid, at least in baseball, if not softball. And probably more often than not, it'll be softball because the Cajuns will get one automatically. Texas State, if they're able to kind of keep momentum, James Madison, that's going to be the more fun part of this. It's the fact that there's going to be more like strength. It's not going to be as top-heavy in some sports. You won't see, I think, Georgia State every year make a run. You'll see other teams. Like Old Dominion, I I think this is the right step in the right direction, and something I never thought about when it comes to the commissioner Keith Gill. Keith Gill's very much been a mess in a lot of different ways, and maybe I haven't liked some of the decisions he's made and how he's handled some things, namely the Coastal Carolina forfeiture, and consider or better yet not being able to play due to COVID and calling them co-conference champions, which was a dumb idea. Why that was even a part of the conversation, I don't know. But we, we'll, we'll, 
We'll table that for now. So when it comes to the Sunbelt Conference, they're set up really nicely for the future. Now, the here and now, it's very much a coastal, app state, coastal, excuse me, coastal, app state, and Cajuns kind of world, and everybody else is living in it. Now, what happens next is anybody's guest. Anybody's guest, excuse me. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We're going to go ahead and take a quick time out. We'll have Mike Neighbors on in about 15 minutes or so, but I want to kind of get into a little more conversation about the two T's. That is Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. We'll get to that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com back after this. The world-famous CD is a pretty easy-going guy for the most part. Some might consider him to be the dude of Acadiana's sports station. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. There are some occasions when he does get unreasonably upset. I still don't understand why they drafted Ian Book in the fourth round. You didn't need another quarterback. You had two already. You could have wound up getting something that's going to help you out down the road offensively rather than somebody that's probably going to be more along the lines of a Garrett Grayson in the history of the Saints franchise. Let's all hope he's in a good mood this morning. Back to more Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Acadiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. On this beautiful Saturday morning, definitely was just the right amount of like cool weather. Like once I got out of my house, and it's, it's just perfect. It's fall weather, football weather. And again, you got, you got to love it. Yes, you got, you know. Dealing with the fact that LSU Alabama is going to be going down tonight. Not necessarily as much juice to it. Because LSU just isn't good enough to beat Alabama. And I don't think they will be tonight. I mean, you don't have hardly anybody really playing. Everybody else is kind of either injured or checked out at this point. Miles Brennan entering the transfer portal was kind of the big headline this week. It just feels like everything is going against them. Meanwhile, the New Orleans Saints... Their game tomorrow feels a lot more winnable. Yes, you still got to deal with the fact that you have Trevor Simeon starting. Sidearm Simeon. But here's the thing. I don't care who it is. You can disagree with me. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. I think that no matter who it is, if it's Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon, I trust either one of them because here's the thing with this offense that Sean Payton has been running with Jameis Winston and the defense you have right now, this defense is elite. There's no debate. This isn't if Joe Flacco is an elite quarterback. This is a very elite offense. So for me, there's no doubt in my mind that the Saints win this Sunday against the Falcons. Trevor Simeon isn't necessarily a guy you could you think about as being able to win ball games consistently, but with this offensive setup, with Mark Ingram now back, Alf Kamara able to be more of the zoom rather than be 
a solo guy, boom and zoom, which still to this day kind of confuses me. Because, like, what the hell was going on? Like, what happened there? Where you've got, like, one guy being everybody. When you had Latavius Murray, I understand he wanted more money and he was being a little bit malcontent, but pay the man his monies and move on. Like, this guy, I like Latavius Murray a little bit more than I do Mark Ingram, more because Mark Ingram is not exactly a spring chicken. That's my biggest thing about this Mark Ingram thing. And people want to say, oh, he didn't run nearly enough. He didn't do nearly enough compared to what we've seen him do in the past. Yes, and? Are you expecting him to be a megastar? And just, like, be the guy that you saw, like, four or five years ago? If so, you might need to be checked. Check yourself. For a second. Think about this. I'm 32 years old. I'm far from an athlete. But 32 years old and you're a running back? To me, that's a like senior citizen. And it's some people don't necessarily think about. You can't have him running the same amount of snaps he did probably five years ago with this offense. Can he? Hopefully. Because I think he's going to have to up his numbers. Last week, those were rookie numbers. You're going to see him get, once he gets more acclimated, I think now you have to put him in more often to be able to protect Alvin Kamara, number one. But number two, have Alvin Kamara be more part of your offense. And if you do that, there's going to be a step in the right direction for this program. And when you look at the Saints, Trevor Simeon did a good job managing the game and that's what this offense is under Sean Payton in the post Drew Brees era it's having a guy manage the contest you don't have to have him like set the world on fire throw 400 yards and just have a and just blow out opponents this is a team that's designed and the offense that seems designed to have a guy that just is a good game manager. Now, the real question is, what happens with Jameis Winston after this year? And maybe we'll get into that with Mike Neighbors. He'll be joining us on the program in about eight minutes. But if you want to give me your thoughts on the New Orleans Saints, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. But for me, I think the New Orleans Saints, no matter who they have the rest of the way, is their starter. Because I think you give... Trevor Simeon this week, this is his real audition. It's a full game. You know what? You got to taste some hill. And taste Hill's coming off of a concussion. He's going to play, but I think he's going to be more of that spark plug, that Swiss Army knife. And if things go well for Trevor, I would not be surprised if he's going to be the guy going forward. But if he falls, if he stumbles and has a bad game, they potentially lose. I think Again, it's like I've said with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston did a great job for the first half of the season. He probably would have done a fantastic job being the quarterback, and Taysom Hill would have been used as he should. But Tate, but Sean Payton, for better or for worse, and this is a big reason why I don't want 
Lane Kiffin as the head coach of the, the Tigers, and it feels like that's not going to happen. But I'm just going to go ahead and say it again. Do not, repeat, do not get Lane Kiffin as your head coach because then you're going to have two guys in the state of Louisiana that want to be the smartest man in the room. They want to show that they're the smartest guy in the room, and it's going to backfire on them tremendously. And the Saints continue to be that team. That first drive, I was scratching my head like, why aren't you punting on the first drive from midfield? You've got a Pro Bowl punter in Blake Gillikin, and you're not going to do that. And, you know, I'm not even going to talk about the final drive where the Saints, I think they could have run the football. And it felt like at least run the football for the first two plays. I think the first two plays are fine. Because you are at least burning timeouts. And then you can throw a pass on the third down if you haven't scored already. That's the whole thing. You could have scored and set yourself up to win the game last Saturday. You didn't need, last Sunday, excuse me, you didn't need to have that P.J. Williams pick six. You could have secured the bag a little bit more rather than just take a three-point lead. Just my opinion. But, of course, it again, it worked out. That's the thing. It works out. When it doesn't work out, we, we poo-poo it. Me, I'm probably much more of a guy that's going to poo-poo it when it's a bad call. Whenever it's a bad decision, I'm just going to say, hey, this wasn't necessarily what you needed to do. This wasn't the right move for the for the Saints last, last Sunday. Because they just absolutely looked... Like they were trying to make the smartest guy in the room decisions, passing forward on three straight downs with two minutes left in the ball game. Not necessarily the smartest, but again, it paid off. If it didn't, we'd be we'd be like yelling at the top of our lungs on Monday that Sean Payton cost us the ball game. He had faith in the defense, and the defense paid him in kind with one of the best pick sixes I've seen the Saints have since the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's been that long since we've had that good of a pick six. Because it was the fact that it was like the pick six was running. And then PJ just was hauling ass, and then he stopped on a dime. Made sure he was set up right and just moved down the field and ran down the end zone, never even came close to the out-of-bounds area. As you know, that the Saints would have gotten screwed over on that call. A lot like they did a few years ago when Trevor Simeon was on the other team. If you remember that game, when you had the, I believe it was, I'm trying to remember if it was a blocked kick or if it was an interception at the end of the ball game where the Denver Broncos looked like they clearly stepped out of bounds. But they got the benefit of the doubt and won that ball game when they shouldn't have won that ball game. I still and frustrated at that. That call is probably one of the more frustrating ones the Saints have been like screwed against during that like 2014-2017 range. Those three, like seven to nine years. Thank goodness I don't think we're we're near that point yet. The Saints only have two losses and they're against teams they shouldn't have lost to. And they they can be talked away. Jameis Winston may have gotten the loss on the record a lot like a pitcher gets losses, wins and losses on their record now in, in the NFL. 
I think this team has a chance to make a run if they can stay healthy on the defensive front. The offense is the offense. You aren't going to see a team just perform at a very like high level like we've seen in the past with Drew Brees. You are going to see a team that just manages the game well on offense and the defense helps them get to points. Helps them like get points on the board and some insurance. That's what you need if you're the New Orleans Saints. And doing that, I think they can be just based off of their next month of the schedule. And again, I've I just continually look at the schedule and I look at it and just give a point of view. You've got two games against the Falcons coming up. You've got the Eagles. I think outside of the Bills and Cowboys, the Bills, Cowboys, and Bucks, every game is potentially winnable. The Titans is a tough one. The Titans is a toughie. It's a coin flip. More because Derrick Henry's out for the year. Can Ryan Tannehill be the Ryan Tannehill they, they overpaid for in my mind? The Eagles. How are the Eagles going to be in that game? The Jets are the Jets. The Dolphins, they could be very well checked out at that point. Then you have the Panthers and the Falcons last two games. You have every chance of being 12-5, and 11-6. That's still in the offing. And that could probably be enough to get you into the postseason. Probably as a wild card, but it's better than not being in it at all after January 9th. It'd be better than your season ending against the Falcons on January 9th and you aren't in the playoffs. I think this team still has every chance, regardless of who it is. I am going to trust Sean Payton, whether it's Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill, as long as it's not Ian Book. If it's Ian Book, I am completely done with the season. They are going to, they are probably going to lose every game going forward. If we see Ian Book out on the field, I'm sorry. I just don't see the hype behind drafting him where you did in day three, I'm still upset about that, as you heard in the rejoin. But if we see the new Garrett Grayson out there for the Saints this season, like you better be holding on for dear life. And if Ian Buck proves me wrong, I'll eat all the crow. I'll gladly eat all that crow because the Saints will won. The Saints will be good. But I am not putting my money behind in book maybe we'll talk about that with our guy mike neighbors will be joining the program next you're listening to acadiana sports station 1037 the game 1037thegame.com Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And pretty apropos bump music to come back to this segment with. A little Led Zeppelin heartbreaker. And there's no doubt last Sunday was filled with some, like, really good mood because the fact you came away with the win, but also some heartbreak as well with the New Orleans Saints losing Jameis Winston for the season with an ACL injury. And we'll talk about that and so much more with our guy Mike Neighbors. 
part of Neighbors Media. Also has interviewed Drew Brees countless times on CST. Maybe we'll get to that as well in this interview. But right now we go to the 137 Game Hotline. Mike, how you doing? I'm great. Good to be on with you guys. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good on this Saturday. Obviously, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, you were, you were at the Superdome. Outside of last year's COVID year when things when you didn't have fans in the stands, was that the absolute quietest you've heard the Superdome get after that Jameis Winston injury? Yeah, it really was. Uh, I thought Sean Payton was a little unfair, basically describing you know Saints fans as underwhelming in certain situations. I think big third down plays, things like that. But yeah, it was a, it was a strange moment for sure because uh, you know it was obviously unexpected and it was such a great game because he had answered Tom Brady's touchdown drive with one of his own. So you know you felt for the player. And you didn't know how the game would would you know be moving forward too. So I think there was a lot of just question marks, unsettledness a little bit. So it was a it was quiet for sure, absolutely. It was just wild to see all that happen, and it's like now you get to see an opportunity for Trevor Simeon to shine. I think he did because he just handled the game well. He did pretty much what Jameis had been doing for the first half of the season, just managing the game, and he managed it well against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and help them get a really nice win over their division foe. Yeah, you got to give a lot of credit to him and, you know, Sean Payton, obviously, for having the game plan intact. And I, I like what, you know, Alvin Kamara said this week, though, that, and, you know, Sean Payton kind of echoed this, that, you know, he's been that way since he walked into the building, a guy that you felt like could step in in any situation and has impressed them. And I think people forget about, too, that, I mean, he had some good wins when he was in Denver, and he's a guy that was counted out at Northwestern, and nobody really gave him a chance to play in the NFL. But there's a, I interviewed him afterwards. We, we used to be CST. Now we're your view. We just made the move. But, uh, you know, I, I'll say this about him. He was calm even after that game. I mean, a guy who was – I think taking seven pass attempts in the last four years before this game. I mean, it's it's amazing what he did, but some guys just have that calmness about them. They don't get rattled, and they work extremely hard, and they get prepared, and that's Trevor Simeon for sure. And, you know, Sean Payton brought up the fact that he had, like, a select playbook that was mapped out specifically for Trevor Simeon. Have you ever heard of somebody like that having, like, specific plays mapped out for somebody? It's kind of that – in case of emergency, break glass playbook. It feels like something I never necessarily thought about. I'm sure maybe some guys do have that kind of setup where I'm sure Sean Payton has that as well. If, you know, Jameis Winston had been underperforming, hey, put Taysom Hill in as the quarterback. Here's the playbook we're going to go with. Yeah, I think that's what's been the calling card of the Peyton era is he really finds the strengths in all of his players, whether it's a running back or a wide receiver, or in this case, a quarterback. And he, he is very thorough in finding, you know, the weaknesses in the opponents and what his guys can do well. And he's done it, you know, since he stepped foot in New Orleans. And you really have seen it with his quarterbacks lately. I mean, I thought the magic number was five last week. He's five and no on holidays, two and no on Halloween, two and no on Thanksgiving. One on Christmas. He's won with five different quarterbacks now, and it was his fifth win over Bruce Arians since he came to Tampa. Unfortunately for the Saints, Peyton is five and one against Arians, but that one was a pretty big one. But you know, it's amazing what he's done with his quarterbacks, and yeah, he's always finding the strengths of his players against the weaknesses of the opposition, and that's what's made him a great head coach. All right, talking now with Mike Neighbors, Neighbors Media. I want to get your perspective on this, and it was like. 
like whenever I saw Mark Ingham on the field for the first time wearing 14, did that feel like an absolutely like cursed image to see him wearing 14 after all those years rocking the 22? You know what? I look at it this way. I didn't think about it till I saw the Saints release something on social media this week. You know, I, I heard the interview where Ingram had trouble picking out a number because obviously his old number is taken, and he thought about calling Archie Manning and getting eight, and that didn't. You know, he wasn't going to do that. But it's kind of cool that you know he's fourteen and Kamara's forty-one. It's kind of the inverse, and those guys get along so well. I kind of like the number now, just just with that, because I think you know they need Mark Ingram. I mean, what's the amazing to me about the Saints right now and you look at you know they beat a Bucks team that has all these weapons they're almost like the New York Yankees where they go out and buy any player they want but the Saints have Kamara and they have Ingram but if you look at their leading wide receiver you know Marquez Callaway and his receptions he's 108 in the NFL in receptions so you have a Trevor Simeon you have a depleted wide receiving core you have Mark Ingram just kind of learning coming back again yet you beat the defending Super Bowl champs I think it's the most improbable win of the Sean Payton era it's amazing to me how they can do it with all the setbacks they've had and it's just been that kind of year I mean it's amazing they beat the Packers after you know having to evacuate with Hurricane Ida I mean there's something there's something destiny about this team it's it's just something different it's been that kind of year for sure it's it's just been that kind of year it's been fun to see how everything has progressed over the last few weeks and heading into this game against the Atlanta Falcons I think obviously the conversation is now who's going to be the guy going forward as the starting quarterback this week obviously with Taysom returning from a concussion Trevor Sammy is going to be taking over this is that true full game audition we never really get to see all that often and we obviously the Saints the last few years have had Drew Brees get out due to injury, but it's only been for four or five games, and you know he's going to be coming back. Jameis Winston, you know he's not going to be coming back, and Peyton has to make a decision not just for the short-term future, but potentially for the long-term future, because we don't know if Jameis Winston is going to be re-signed for 2022. He played well, but it's all about what the future is going to be. Is he going to wind up probably letting Taysom Hill have an opportunity to be that starting quarterback if Trevor does indeed like fall short of the mark and he winds up underperforming this weekend. I think that's absolutely going to happen, but if Trevor Simeon keeps playing well, I think it's a win-win for the Saints because uh, you know Taysom's health continues to improve. Obviously, that's first and foremost. Then it'll be a weapon for uh, Trevor Simeon, because as I mentioned, they don't have a lot of weapons with the depleted wide receiving core with Michael Thomas being out and Deontay Harris and Trey Smith just getting back in the fold a little bit. You know, kind of reading between what Sean Payton said this week, you know, they want to see how Taysom is health wise, but I also think they really want to see how Trevor Simeon is moving forward. If he can continue to improve, it's going to make things interesting because. I mean, there's no question Sean Payton wants Taysom Hill to succeed at quarterback. That's been a project for him the last couple of years of paying Taysom Hill a lot of money. But if Trevor Simeon keeps playing well and improving, it's going to be a good problem for Sean Payton and the Saints. So, and, and you mentioned Jameis Winston. I think in the long run, that may be good for the Saints, too, because if Jameis would have kept improving and had a big year, he would have commanded more money on the market. But now he still kind of has that unknown factor to him. So and may be able to have Jameis Winston come back at a reduced price. All kinds of moving parts, such an interesting 
development with this quarterback situation and i mean it's i mean it's not boring when you talk about the saints because there's always a big plot especially on offense this year whether it's michael thomas or you know life after drew Brees, or you know is Jameis going to be the guy now he's hurt now you have trevor simeon i mean it's it's kind of crazy that they're five and two to be honest with you it's it's crazy but at the same time you you, you can't be mad at it because you're getting things done and i think more importantly you got to give credit to the saints defense they've been the most elite part of this team getting it done and more importantly they've been able to step their game up when it matters most and help this team help the offense just be a good game manager yeah I, I agree I mean it's it's really been the case for the Saints the last four years I mean even when Teddy Bridgewater came in for Breeze two years ago and they were 5-0 and the defense carried him I mean Bridgewater played well but it was all about the defense, and that's been the case since they've rebounded from those losing seasons and had that great draft class in 2017. They started to build this defense. Dennis Allen doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion, the Saints defensive coordinator. Everybody talks about Sean Payton against Tom Brady, but that's Dennis Allen against Tom Brady. He's developed a game plan to stop Tom Brady for the most part since he arrived in Tampa. And, you know, this defense to me is only going to get better. I mean, you have Anyamata coming back. You have Davenport. If he can stay healthy along with Cam Jordan, that's arguably the best defensive line in football. Demario Davis, I mean, what can you say about him? Quan Alexander's only get more, going to get more and more comfortable. And then you have the secondary. You know, you lose Janoris Jenkins. You know, a lot of more Marcus Williams or stalwarts back there in Malcolm Jenkins. But I really like the fact that they have Bradley Roby and Paulson Adebo's learning. I just think this defense is going to get even better, and that's great news for the Saints. It's tremendous news for the Saints. Talk right now, Mike Neighbors, Neighbors Media, and especially as you head into this home stretch, because now you're in November, and obviously the season's now because it's an 18 week season. You are now going to be getting into like mid January with January 9th against the yeah. Atlanta Falcons to wrap up the season. But there's a legit chance now where the Saints could be still in control of their own destiny and be NFC South champions all about how they do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in just a few weeks time. But now do you think this team has a chance to make a run for the postseason with everything going on, going against them? You don't have Michael Thomas. You don't really have a kicker. You can a hundred percent rely on. It feels like all the odds are against them, but standing in five and two, you still have a chance to make the playoffs. Oh, I, I think they definitely have a chance to win the division. Uh, I think they definitely have a chance to make a run. I mean, you look at the history of the Saints with Sean Payton, they've never really had elite receivers. I mean, Michael Thomas was the first uh, Pro Bowl receiver. I mean, Marcus Colston should have been, but Michael Thomas was the first one, and that was you know, 20, 2017. I mean, that's way into the Sean Payton era. I really like Deontay Harris. I think Traquan Smith has potential. I like Taysom Hill, you know, being that Swiss Army knife. Uh, Mark Ingram's only going to help things. I think Adam Troutman, uh, tight end's coming along a little bit. Juwan Johnson. I mean, they have guys. They're not household names, but I think these guys will only get better. And, you know, the defense is there. Uh, we'll see about this new kicker. We'll see. He's kind of been thrown in there a little bit. But I think they've kind of rallied around the, the fact that, you know, they've lost so much. They've been through so much. So I definitely think they can win the division. And I think they can make a run. I don't know if they can make a Super Bowl. That may be a lot to ask. But I definitely think they'll be interesting to watch uh, down the stretch here. Hey, one more thing before I let you go. You were talking about CST. Now it's your view. Everything's getting shifted over to there. And it's crazy thing. It's been twenty, almost twenty years since CST had first yeah. launched. 
what were you kind of some of your lasting memories being part of that television network and being part of the Saints post game and game day broadcasts? Oh, so many great memories. They've been really good to me. They're the best people I've worked for. And um, we've had a chance to really do some creative things. And um, I was able to, to help bring Drew Brees to the network. And my bosses were really instrumental in, in making that happen. And uh, I'll announce it on your show today. I haven't told too many people this, but uh, I wrote a book on Drew Brees. And it's coming out the first week in December. And it's called The Breeze Way, and it's really a compilation of the best interviews I did with Drew. You know, we had a one-on-one after every game for 14 years. We didn't do it in 06, but we did it 07 through last season, nearly 300 one-on-ones. And Doug Flutie, who was Drew Brees' mentor, uh, wrote the foreword for my book and supplied a lot of great content, a lot of great stories on Drew when he was a young player. We have great stuff from Marcus Colston, Zach Streif, Roman Harper, Lance Moore. So they've all endorsed the book through Deuce McAllister. So I'm really excited about re- releasing this uh, early December. So I have to come uh, in your parts, maybe have a book signing, because I'm starting to schedule some around the state of Louisiana. But it'll be the perfect holiday gift, the breezeway, the book coming out the first week of December. I'm really excited about it. I was it. about to say, I'm going to have to put in my pre-order. Where do, you, where do you kind of pre-order this? Because obviously there's a lot of different places that you can get nowadays. But what's kind of yeah. where, where is this going to be like sold at? It'll definitely be on Amazon. It's funny. I'm working out all the details right now. I've just approved my final draft, and we're going to start printing these. And I'll have more information probably in the next two weeks. Uh, But it's definitely going to be out the first week of December. We're already scheduling, like I said, book signings and promotions for this. So I'll definitely be in touch and, 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 you know, have – all that info for you, and, and hopefully I'll come back on. I can pass it on to your, your listeners, too. Exactly. Let's try and get a book signing arranged in Lafayette on a Saturday between 10 a.m. and noon, and we can kind of do a cross-promotion type thing. How, how about that? Let me know, my brother. Let's do it. I'm, I haven't told many people yet. I, I'm having a book signing in Pensacola because I had some friends there. They've already heard about it. I, I wanted to keep it under wraps until I knew all the you know, I's were dotted and T's were crossed. But now I, I know it's going to happen, so I, I would love to do something like that. Absolutely. You've got my number, brother. We'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll talk to you down the road. Look forward to it. I uh, always enjoy being on with you. I appreciate it. Mike Neighbors, Neighbors Media, CST. Now your view part of the post-game broadcast for the New Orleans Saints. Great to have a conversation with him. And I'm just saying, we needed to get this thing going. Because if it's in December, we need to find a place. Be it like a walk-ons or whatever. Find a place to host Under the Dome with CD. Mike Neighbors. Talking Saints. Book signing. Trust me. That's how that's how we get over in this business. We, we, we workshop things live on the air. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. I'm going to go ahead and come down off the high of getting breaking news on this show and so much more under the dome with CD. One final take, and it's more NFL-related next on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. This might need to be one of those more down-the-road type things. Let's go ahead and put it this way in terms of the hot takes. But I'm willing to say it right now. 
is the the Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to say the St. Louis Rams. It's been like five years. They need to get it to get a. But the Los Angeles Rams, with the trade they did for Von Miller, said one thing to me. They are all in. The poker chips are all in. They even said it on Twitter. They put you know the gif of uh, KGB, Teddy KGB from Rounders, which is a great poker movie, by the way. This is a statement. They are all in. The chips are being pushed to the very front of the table. And you need to believe you me that this team is making a statement. They are all in on getting to the Super Bowl. With the trade they did for Matt Stafford, that was already statement enough. But now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Los Angeles Rams are getting everything ready for a Super Bowl run. And if they don't get to the Super Bowl, this is where the hot take is. This is where the real like lava scorching type stuff is. If they don't get to the Super Bowl, and it's going to be a tough road in the NFC, don't get me wrong. Yeah, the Cowboys, the Bucks, the Saints, the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a team to keep keep an eye on. So, for me, you got to think that if they don't get in, Sean McVay could be all out. Because this is that year where you're putting all your chips at the front of the table. Last year, they underwhelmed after the Super Bowl. They had that Super Bowl hangover. Now they're back in the forefront. Where does that team stand right now today? They stand atop the NFC because they've made a statement. Their defense is going to get better with a veteran leading the way. They're all in. And if they don't get to the promised land, like if, they, if they go and lose, it's kind of that it is what it is type thing. You don't see the San Francisco 49ers like cleaning house two years after, when, after being in the Super Bowl. You didn't see that happen when Jim Harbaugh brought his San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl, it was just a slow but sure collapse. This could be the same kind of thing with Jimmy G and crew and Kyle Shanahan over there, but we don't know yet. That said, the 49ers definitely are a fun team with your boy and one of my favorites, I got to say, one of my personal favorites, Elijah Mitchell, possibly being an NFC Rookie of the Year. I think it's definitely something we're talking about. Maybe we'll talk about that more down the road, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout for the week be back with you in seven days under the dome from 10 a.m to noon i'll be right here on 103.7 the game talk to you next week